This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Habitat Podcast, the podcast for wildlife habitat management, hunting strategy, and land stewardship. And now, your host, Jared Van Heeves. Welcome to the Habitat Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Van Heeves, and we're here to become better habitat managers. What's up, everybody? Thanks for coming back. We have a great episode for you here today. We have... uh, Hank Forster from the National Deer Association, formerly the QDMA, and Corey Francis, my good buddy. Um, we are at Corey's farm, and we are talking about the NDA Field to Fork program. Uh, we talked about this with Mark Kenyon a few episodes back. Um, I'm volunteering in it. Corey is the head of the, the branch down there, so he's kind of running the show with Hank. And we're going to take out 10 new hunters. Uh, this weekend is the Field to Fork weekend. So we're fired up about it. I saved this podcast for right now to launch. Um, we recorded this in Corey's barn out there. It was about 90 degrees. There's a little noise in the background of a fan that was on. I tried to edit out as much as I could, but um, you can still hear the great content. We talk about you know, who the new hunters are, what the program achieves, how people can help. Everything that has to do with the Field to Fork program, because I'm kind of doing this mini-series on it, and uh, we're going to hopefully interview a successful hunter after we uh, take out the 10 hunters this weekend. So if you're interested in the NDA Field to Fork program, uh, Hank shares his information in here. You know how to get a hold of him. And um, thanks again for listening, guys. Now, I want to give you a little update as well. Um, all of our podcasts and everything are up at HabitatPodcast.com. You guys already knew that. Um, but we're going to be doing some cool stuff. We've got the video team Brian's putting together on YouTube. 
uh, that'll be awesome. A bunch of new content this fall that you guys can follow along with. So be sure to go over to the YouTube channel and subscribe. Um, we're getting up there in, in subscribers. We need a bunch more. So those of you that have been awesome and, and uh, you know, listen to us for forever, um, go over there and, and hit subscribe if you don't mind. We could really use that. Um, I'll put the link in the show notes for, for the YouTube channel. And then, uh, you know, just really thankful to, to have you guys listening and following along as, as we grow this and, and uh, become better habitat managers, obviously. So I want to tell you about an upcoming episode we have with Mr. Lowell Larson who invented the squirrel. Uh, they're a new partner of ours here at the podcast, and uh, you can see his products at nutplanter.com. So Lowell is, uh, I believe he said he's 78, 78-year-old gentleman, lives in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, a wealth of knowledge, great, fun guy to talk to. We'll be interviewing him, or I'm sorry, launching the episode coming up here soon. So stay tuned on that, guys. If you want to check out the easiest and fastest way to plant hundreds and thousands of acorns on your property uh, without bending over and breaking your back, check out his product at nutplanter.com. And uh, he is offering a 10% discount for podcast listeners. So you can get that discount a couple of different ways. You can go on to his website when you order, put, put it in the notes, in the shipping notes that you're a listener of the podcast. But I just urge you to give him a call. Um, he's an awesome guy. Kind of like a Charlie Morse, you know, just one of those guys that's full of knowledge and great to talk to. And, uh, if you mention the Habitat podcast, you will get 10% off on this product. Uh, all of his products are made in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. It's a Michigan product. There's a lot of iron ore and steel in that area that are made at an old Air Force base in Gwynn, Michigan. Um, they're, you know, they're shipped to Menominee, Michigan for powder coating. And then, uh, you know, they assemble them and everything and, and get them ready. So U.S. product, Michigan product, uh, the squirrel at nutplanter.com. Go check them out, guys. Tell them the Habitat Podcast. Attention. So I want to thank Killer Food Plots, Packer Max Cultipackers, Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, Exodus Trail Cameras, Realtree United Country Land Pro, Lake States Realty and Auction, Morse Nursery, and Afflictor Broadheads. Guys, Chad over at Realtree United Country Land Pro has a couple new listings that just came up this week. They are in Central Michigan and South Central Michigan. They are great-looking parcels. The deer density in that area is huge, a lot of farmland, a lot of good cropland, good soil. Um, check them out. You can check out Chad if you just go to our website, habitatpodcast.com, go up there and hit his logo. It's on the home screen. Um, he's been on multiple episodes with us. If you want to go back and listen to Chad and, and understand his knowledge. But uh, if you're looking to buy a new piece of property, check out Chad Thalen at Realtree United Country Land Pro Lake States Realty and Auction. Again, his information is on Facebook, his website, or on our website as well. All right, guys, without further ado, let's get into it with Hank and Corey talking about the National Deer Association Field to Fork program and the weekend we're going to have coming up. And that's where we're going to start, right there. That's all for right? That's like, all we can edit that, right? Okay, yeah, I got the first couple minutes up, but that's going to stay on Let's keep it here, right? <laughs> Welcome back, gentlemen. Uh, well, Corey, you've been on here before. 
Yes, I have. Thank you for having me back, Jared. Of course. And then we have Hank Forrester. Hank, Glad welcome. Here. Thank you. Of course. Yeah, we're here. Uh, we're at Corey's farm. Haven't recorded one here before. Um, this is the first we've done it in the uh, in the back forty deer blind. I recorded one. We recorded one in a deer blind with you when you were in Missouri. Yeah. Yep. Now we're in a barn. In a farm. At a farm. Yep. And good news, it's only uh, what ninety some degrees outside, which makes this uh, barn with no airflow. About 120. Yeah. You have a name for your property? We call it the hunting property or the. No. I don't have a name. The back 70? Yeah, the back 70. Yeah. Alright. Already taken. Yeah. Already taken. I can't do that. The back 64 turned into the back 40, so let's call the back 45. No, I don't know. I have the front 70. The front 70. I'm just grasping straws at this point. Yeah. No name. We gotta we gotta do some memorable things out here first, and we'll we'll give it a name. Tell us about it. Tell us who you are, where we're at. For those who don't know who you are, you've been on the show a couple times, but a couple, three or four. Yeah, uh, Corey Francis. Uh, here from Michigan, I live uh, Wayne County, technically uh, near Canton, Plymouth area, and we're at my farm in Jackson County right now, uh, having a little discussion. Jared, I met you a few years ago because I was inspired by this exact podcast that motivated me to do all the work I've done uh, out on this farm. Uh, I've owned it since 2018 and uh, done a lot of you know programs inspired by you and Chad that you had on the on the show early and uh, talking about the different programs uh, for cost share and done that when it I don't know 2,000 trees with cost share. Uh, Maybe up, maybe eight or ten, about ten or twelve acres actually of native grasses and, and wildflowers out here, all inspired by you, man. So um, it's kind of cool to be on here and talking to you uh, when when you've taught me so much through uh, all your all your content. Well, I appreciate the kind of words. You didn't have to say that. I'll pay you later for it. Yeah, no problem. Uh, is that the tenth installment? Yeah. I, take, I take singles. Yeah, that's, uh, that was nice, Corey. I appreciate that. That's one retainer, huh? Yeah, and, I mean, after uh, after I shot that buck out here, you know, he's a man. So I appreciate <laughs> it. I know um, for those who haven't heard, I, I'm trying to look it up, but I don't have service. I think it was episode 40 that you were on, the very first one where so, we're at that, that um, Habitat get-together down in Adrian. We talked about like the 19,000 things you did on your property the first summer you owned it. People should go back and listen to that number 40 if they haven't. It's actually very inspiring. I had a lot of buddies who were like, holy crap, that guy is busy. Yeah, well, he sets his mind to get it done. So, probably why you're uh, also the president of a NDA branch too, right? Yeah, so uh, president of the Southeast Michigan uh, National Deer Association branch, formerly uh, the QDMA. Uh, been active in the branch for the last uh, 13, 14 years. I think this branch has been uh, going. Uh, it, it had about a five to seven year lull, and then we picked it back up when I got this place because uh, uh, cooperatives is are, are my, I guess let's call it anchor of why you know I, I want to get neighbors together and, and, and really uh, Michigan. We have the rules that we have, but. Uh, if you, if you get the neighbors on the same page, it's uh, you've seen the inches of antlers and it's very advantageous. And the pictures around here, it, it's it's awesome. It, it turns this into 
uh, what Michigan's really capable of producing, and uh, that's really something I like to try to scale across not only Southeast Michigan, but anybody that's listening to this, I'm happy to help out on um, getting cooperative started and, and, and getting in line with your neighbors. Even if you tried it before, and even if it didn't work, and even if they kill everything they see, I promise you there's a way. I love it. I love it. We have some stuff coming down the pipe on co-ops nationally, so you, my friend, stay tuned. Cool. Um, speaking of NDA, Mr. Hank, how are you doing today? Doing well. Doing well. Glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for driving all the way up from uh, Georgia, North Carolina. North Carolina. Used to be Georgia. Used to be Georgia. And uh, how far was that drive? Uh, nine and a half on paper, a couple of hours extra once you drop a trailer and everything. But uh, it's a nice drive. It's just uh, up to the Ohio country, it seems like, by the time you really get to thinking you're in West Virginia and then uh, Ohio or whatever. But nice drive. The yeah. long state. The, uh, I'm, I'm a big, like, history fan, you know, Native Americans, Daniel Boone, whatever. So uh, I felt like that was probably like a trade route or something because I went through, like, the Corn Belt and uh, Chillicothe or whatever yeah. it was. And, like, yeah. I left, uh, you know, like the, the mountains of North Carolina, which were kind of that area that they left from. So it's, it's a nice drive. And then you hit the land of Ohio corn and beans, and you just get the sense that there's some good deer around there. Yeah, there are. Uh, and actually, where we hunt and have hunted the past few years, Corey and I and some other friends are right by the Chillicothe area, so yeah. a little bit. And I think you're right. I think when I was reading the biography of Daniel Boone, I think he did uh, spend some time down there. He got taken captive around Bensboro. I can't remember if they took him up to one of the Great Lake areas or they took him there, but he definitely got taken up to one of the, these areas and then escaped and ran back. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, I think, um, I think I first met you, Hank, at... Like UDMA is a rendezvous for all the branch presidents up north of Lansing a few years back. Yeah. Matt was in town. Um, Anna was still yeah. there. And yeah. It was a while back. Uh, Josh was working there. Yep. No. Uh, yeah, that was a couple of few years ago. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, I kind of had a, um, a deja vu kind of moment because we're uh, going to be at the Sharonville gun range tomorrow. And so I went over there. And uh, for that event, we went over to some state you know, sportsman gun range that was very similar set up, but great facilities in the state. It was. Yeah. Well, welcome to Michigan once again. Thank you. You are here for the Field of Fork event, and that's kind of what we're doing with this podcast series. We started out one one episode with Chad Palin in a deer blind on the back 40 where the Field of Fork is headquartered, if you will, here in, this, in Michigan for this part of it. Um, now we have you on, and then we're hoping to, once we have some successful hunters, Chat them up. Um, yeah. I'm going to be mentoring with you guys this year on it. I'm pretty fired up about that. So I guess to, to get started, why don't you tell us a little bit more about you and then, you know, pitch the field of four for us in case sure. anybody across the country in our listenership wants to start a program of their own in their neck of the woods. Absolutely. So, again, Hank Forster, I'm the director of hunting for the National Deer Association and have uh, worked for them for a number of years. But uh, in uh, 2016... Myself and, uh, and the uh, George R3 coordinator, uh, Charles Swanee Evans, we, uh, we wanted to start a Learn to Hunt program that focused on food for adults um, and try to make a you know, sustainable program that would actually create hunters. And uh, we decided to set up a table at the Athens Farmers Market in Georgia and see what happened. And uh, we had a waiting list in a few hours, and uh, 
wrote some articles about it. Um, you know, ran it for a couple years and then set off to, to replicating it. And we managed to get uh, a good number of replications, but a, a, lot, a lot of good press too. Um, people thought it was, I guess it was kind of new age or outside the box, but um, but really it was just kind of taking what we know about, um, you know, modern trends in the United States. I mean, um, it, it's kind of a crazy world we live in, and, and a lot of hunters don't don't under don't realize it, but you know, best estimates as of 2016 is only um, 5% of Americans hunt. Wow. Uh, and 11 and a half million licensed hunters in 2016. Uh, you know, we're 330 million people or something in this country. Um, so, you know, the most recent research says there's 24, uh, north of 24 million Americans who say that they're interested in hunting or plan to hunt in, their, in the future but have never done it. And they're sitting on the sidelines. That's, you know, that's two times as many people who are currently doing it according to license sales. And, and there's some, you know, you'll see that the numbers don't always add up. Uh, there was an article just this week or last week in Outdoor Life that we say there's a million uh, duck hunters, but we sell 1.7 million uh, duck stamps. So, you know, I didn't read the article, but sometimes the numbers uh, are misleading. Not everybody hunts every year, uh, but we wanted to set off to try to inspire some new hunters and, um, you know, look at what's happened in our world in the last you know, few decades with farmers markets, organic food, trends, people want to know where their food comes from. Uh, hunting, uh, you know, bad pun, but it, it's your best bang for your buck in terms of local, um, you know, sustainable protein. And uh, as we're looking out the door of this barn, I mean, there, there's probably uh, some deer out there that we can't see right now. Um, so we, we set off doing that. And, uh, and, uh, you know, Meat Eater took note, and that's why we're in Michigan. Um, they gave us uh, their uh, back 40, the proverbial back 40, and, and I know you've covered it a little bit, um, and we appreciate the press. But uh, we've got 64 acres over here near the southeastern Michigan branch, and uh, we're hosting an adult learn-to-hunt program locally uh, this fall. And uh, the initial training, a lot of range, and kind of tour of the property is tomorrow. Awesome. And... And I guess for those who might not know, it may seem like a stupid question, but why do we want more hunters? Oh, my buddy Swanee would have always said uh, that you need to realize that the quality and quantity of your hunting experiences in your state rely on, on the number of hunters. And, and it's true. Um, hunting funds a lot of conservation in this country. A lot of it has kind of changed over the years to being funded by ammunition and, and you know, the gun runs that we've seen over the last decade or so. But... Um, but still, it's a lot, the money, the tax that's taken off sporting goods such as that is a lot of to the states based on the uh, square mileage of the state and the number of licenses they sell in the state. So uh, uh, don't hold me completely to it, but I believe that like um, that a state will get about fifty dollars per hunting license sold from the federal government per year in terms of revenue from that federal fund that can go towards funding the wildlife departments. You know. And, and that's the thing is these these um, the game species, the hunted species, and the tax that people or the license sales and that kind of stuff are really the sole drivers for conservation of both game and non-game species in states, uh, state parks, conservation projects, all that kind of good stuff. No, thanks for covering that because I learned something there. So I didn't know all that. That's awesome. Um, yeah, the Pittman-Robertson Act is a great part of that. Um, yeah. Guys, we're the best conservationists, so you know we're the best people to fund this stuff and um, 
Hank and Corey and, and the whole volunteer team is here to get more people into that. So speaking of your, you have a, a deal tomorrow. Let's hear about what you're doing tomorrow and then the other uh, installments of this year's Field of Fork, if you don't mind. There's three or four of them, I believe. So, uh, so Corey and uh, our Habitat Committee, and, and I know y'all covered this, have been managing the property, improving the property, really, really creating a, a, an oasis for wildlife, and the, and the trail cameras out there are, are proving it. Um, and so now we're kind of moving to the programmatic and the hunting side of it. Um, we experienced hunters are, are not going to harvest any deer out there, um, but they're for these new hunters. And we've recruited 10 new hunters this year, um, and of course mentors to pair them with. They're taking online hunter education and a deer hunting one-on-one online course that we developed with Calcameer Today's Hunter. And uh, and tomorrow is kind of their in-person training day. We're meeting at the Sharonville Range. They're going to um, gain proficiency and, and get comfortable on our rifles and crossbows. Um, luckily, they have both a rifle range and archery range over there. And a pavilion, we're going to serve some venison lunch and hopefully train everybody up and then go over to the back 40, um, walk the property, show them some deer sign, uh, show them the property before the hunting season, um, show them some hunting approaches. But it, it's really about range day and getting to know everybody tomorrow. And, and just as Corey was talking about co-ops and that kind of stuff, you know, it's about building that community and that camaraderie. It's about getting those mentors together with the new hunters, obviously giving them the knowledge and the skills that they need to be um, ethical and, 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 you know, proficient hunters. But it's about kind of building that community, um, you know, and having some fun. That's that's really building their confidence and kind of creating that camaraderie and community are the two keys to creating a hunter, creating a successful program. Awesome. Yeah, you guys have studied and you guys know this. Are you, are you like a cookout and that sort of thing too? or? Um, yeah, um, you know, with COVID, we've amended our programs a little bit over the years. The original pilot was a lot of, a little bit of classroom and, a, and a, you know, afternoons in the evening and stuff. Um, this one we're doing a couple weekends, but that's the training. And then we're actually taking advantage of the uh, antlerless rifle seasons in Michigan, which which I love. Uh, I like the idea of, a, you know, an early rifle season. So we're taking advantage of those for our first hunt, our first big organized hunt. Um, we hope people will kind of rotate back through as their schedules allow. If they can pair up with a mentor, we're going to offer up access to the back 40 for these hunters during the archery season and stuff with the crossbows. Oh, cool. And then we're going to do another big organized late season hunt in December. And uh, so the two big organized rifle hunts, we're going to hopefully allow a bunch of follow-up for these hunters, uh, you know, with the, with the crossbows. And, Hopefully give them, the, the intention is to give them that trial phase and give them a few opportunities to get out there, hopefully be successful, or at least, you know, um, they really need to get their hands dirty. The, you know, you got to give them the confidence to take care of that animal if they do get that shot. And that, you know, if you don't really show them how to go all the way through the process, most hunters won't get out there if they don't feel comfortable. And that's, that's a huge roadblock for people continuing hunting. So... We want them to see how to take care of an animal, get that confidence and comfortable with it. And, uh, and you know, our program has, uh, you know, proven that we can get about 80% of these people to continue hunting by giving them the basic knowledge and, and the confidence to, to get out there and, uh, yeah, give them that trial phase, and then hopefully they'll continue. Now, that's huge. I, I was going to save this question for later, but um, 
who are the lucky hunters? How do you pick the people? Is there a certain demographic you go for, age requirement? Give me that. So, uh, it's an adult program, and we, we take adults for a couple reasons, but it, it's, it's about creating hunters. And um, adults have calendars that they choose, you know, when they're going to do stuff. They have checkbooks. They have cars. You know, they, they, you can take a first-time adult hunter out of field today. Uh, they can go on their own sometimes next week if you, if you really give them the confidence. And then they can start mentoring their friends or at least being great advocates uh, in their peer group. So that's kind of our intention is, is to get together a ragtag group of new hunters that can then filter back into their peer groups and advocate for hunting and hopefully recruit their own and, and that kind of stuff. So it's trying to create like this sustainable process. But we advertised, um, we had a survey, um, we, uh, we, had, we have a pretty rigorous schedule with this program. So uh, that was one way to kind of weed down the large applicant pool was to just make sure that everybody was available for all the program dates. And uh, I'm, I'm sure we had some amazing applicants that just weren't, you know, if you weren't available for the training, we couldn't accept you, that kind of stuff. But we ended up accepting 10 new hunters, and um, I don't know a lot about them yet. We'll meet them all tomorrow. I have the survey data. I can tell you that, um, you know, most of them don't come from, a, or none of them really come from a hunting background. A few of them have been a field before. None of them have been successful on deer hunting. We asked a lot of questions about, um, you know, how often their immediate family hunts. And if, you know, they've got parents and uncles that hunt all the time, you know, we're probably not going to accept them. Yeah. We're looking for people who grew up outside of a hunting culture. Got it. And, um, you know, that, that we can kind of diversify hunting and, and really see it and who wouldn't have the opportunity to do it possibly otherwise. Now, that's not to say that, you know, I, I know a few of these hunters' stories, and, and I'm sure they can tell you more on a podcast episode later. But, you know, some of them have purchased license in the past and gone afield and not had any success. I mean, gone on public land and set up against a tree. Um, but that's a great candidate. I mean, we can give them the ammunition that they need to be successful. And, and I bet you they mentor for us in a year or two. Um, so you really have to, uh, when we ran these programs in Texas, and we, we'll have 40 uh plus fields of forks this fall around the country, like 17 states. You know, in Texas, um, people would answer that they've been hunting before, and you'd be like, well, you know, what, you know, you ask them to explain it, like, there's this culture of dove hunting, there's a culture of, like, corporate dove hunts in Texas that a lot of people say, I've been dove hunting once or whatever, so if you didn't accept them for, like, saying they've been hunting before, you just missed a lot of good candidates, but, you know, somebody who invited them dove hunting once or or whatever, but you kind of, a lot of these uh, survey questions are kind of paragraph form or, or give me a sentence, like explain your answer. And so we try to um, pick good candidates. But um, I can't remember exactly where the youngest is, but I think it's early 20s. Okay. Um, and I think our oldest candidate is 58. Um, and then we got two ladies and eight guys. So that's an yeah. Okay. Good. yeah, and I don't know anything about... Um, their ethnic breakout or, or diversity or anything, we don't ask that. Um, we, we are actually running a couple field sports exclusively for uh, people of color this year um, through a program, but um, we don't ask that on that side. No clue until we meet them tomorrow. No worries. No, that's, you answered the question plenty, so yeah. thanks. I think um, I want to know male or female and age, you know, most specifically. And the fact that you can, if you get somebody who is not into it at all and you get them booked, that's going to be a bigger impact than somebody who's kind of into it, or maybe has been with their dad once, or maybe has a buddy, you know, in my opinion. Is that your hope with that? 
So the 2016 National uh, Survey of Hunting also told us that current hunters are 90% male and 96% Caucasian. Okay. And again, we're only about 5% of the population that buy a license in any given year. So, um, you know, we're a vast, vast minority, and um, we the people control what happens in this country. So a lot of our intention is, A, like, there was a ton of push of, like, we need more hunters. We need more licensed buyers. This, this North American model of conservation in our country is built around this the you know, user pay system, and if people quit using, somebody else is going to have to pay. So we were, we were very worried about we need more licensed buyers. We're actually seeing a little bit of an increase in hunting participation in this country. Yeah. And um, I think it's, I think it's uh, thanks to people like you, it's, it's me either, it's, it's Joe Rogan. I mean, like, hunting has become cool. It's kind of mainstream, just as we were ta- I was talking about earlier. Like, just these trends we're seeing in, in modern society bode well for hunting. I mean, a lot of people are interested in healthy living and, and local sustainable, and, and that's hunting. Um, but we need to diversify. I mean, to be sustainable, we need more people from broad audiences. And, and what we're learning there, what we're seeing in, in today is that the metropolitan areas are going to dictate the future of this country. I mean, the cities have a lot of voters in them. Okay. And guess what? Cities don't typically have hunters. You know, most if you grew up in a hunting culture, you probably didn't grow up in a city. Um, so we need to, I mean, you've, you've seen it from, I mean, Mark Kenyon, who, who took on the back 40 originally and so graciously and mediator gave us this property. I mean, he's written a lot about, you know, public land and wild spaces. And, and you know, we have, okay. that has to be relevant to the urban population. And, and we're seeing a lot of that with this, you know, you know, the, you know, public land push. And we've been given the golden ticket of, like, politics going anti-public land because, we the people actually do like public land and people like spaces, um, but we need to make sure that urban people understand hunting, understand you know that we need these green spaces in this country and, and how it all kind of ties together. So we definitely uh, want to get people out that, that didn't grow up in hunting, and a lot of them kind of are going to hopefully be diverse audiences and, and uh, not grow up in hunting cultures. Yeah, wow, great answer. It sounds like you guys have a lot of data and uh, research behind your mission, if you will, the way you're doing it, um, demographic, the choices made, so I think uh, between you guys and then me, they have, I know, science behind their badges too, so oh, yeah. I think it's a great, um, really a Netflix effect, I, I really, I mean, seriously, you I can't tell you, like, we, I've hosted Pills of Forks where every hunter in the Pills of Forks was like, I heard you on the Meteor podcast, or... Um, and, and when we asked them, like, why do you want to learn to deer hunt? Uh, you know, that, that's like the coolest part so many fields of work. Like the first day when you meet them, ask everybody to stand up, introduce themselves to the group, and tell us why you want to learn to deer hunt. Oh, you know? And then the coolest part at the end is, like, we always had a culinary social, and, we'll, you know, we're doing these kind of destination hunts that we'll, we'll bring these in, but you ask them to tell their favorite hunting story or whatever. And, you know, sometimes they're harvest stories or what it was like when the deer came in yeah. and whatever, but sometimes it, it's not. Sometimes it's just, you know, the uh, meditative aspect of deer hunting or whatever, um, a connection with nature and kind of that meditative aspect of deer hunting and are often your number one, like, reasons that you, you want to continue hunting or whatever. But, yeah, I, um, I don't know about you guys. Yeah. No, I mean, if it was yeah. killing deer, I, I would have quit a long time ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
I spent a lot of days in the woods. You know, that's what the non-hunters don't understand, I think, sometimes. And, and even family members, like, what do you mean? Like, why are you going back out again? Like, you can't get one of these things? Yeah, but, uh, fine what success yeah. looks like to you. And if it, yeah. it means shooting a deer and every time you go out, then you're probably not going to stick with it too long. Short yeah. season. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so. Exactly. No, that's awesome. I think, um, you know, you got to put in the work behind this program. You've proven it works. So I'm excited to see how this year goes, especially. Um, it's our first year, so, um, you know, I hope we can grow over time. And that's really... First year here. Yeah, first year here. here. No, no, not first. Uh, but And we've been doing them in Michigan for, uh, you know, a handful of years. We, yeah. We've had many programs in Michigan. Michigan was an early adopter, um, you know, and... and um, but... This is our first one on the back 40. We were just gifted the property this year um, and first for this area. So um, we're starting a little small, um, and we hope to grow. Um, you know, we can only hunt about four hunters at any given time on the back 40. And so we're, we've accepted 10, so we've had to recruit local mentors, just like you two guys, and local landowners who are willing to give us access. Um you know, so so it really comes down to the mentors, the available access for deer hunting. Um, but you know, we're building this community, and I know I've said that word a lot, but that's really what it comes down to. And, and hopefully, in a couple of years, you know, we'll have hundreds of people that have even either volunteered or, or been a participant in the program. Hopefully, these participants come back and mentor new hunters for us. Um, but that's what we've seen in these programs that have been running for a number of years is it, it just creates this kind of waterfall or this churn, snowball effect. And uh, and so it kind of grows. But, you know, in Athens, you know, we've got 50 people who have graduated from the program and, and we've got all those volunteers. And, you know, every once in a while you just have a venison dinner and just get the, get the troops together, see what people are up to. And, uh, I mean, I, I know some of our participants that hunted public land 15 days last year that were in the program, you know, a year or two ago. And um, some of our, our most prolific uh, mentors and even recruiters and, I mean, just, just advocates for hunting have been those participants. Really? Yeah. Yeah, it's been really cool. And then, you know, just for a little bit of background on the program, you can go to deerassociation.com slash build the fork or slash FTF. Um, and you can see the video we recorded in Athens in 2018. Um, you know, you can listen to some podcasts we've done or see kind of the summary articles of the initial pilots and stuff. But that'll give you a background of kind of what we're talking about, um, give you a kind of a visual. And and that's what we're doing uh, this year. You know, we've got uh, we've got Mark Moline with Annex Creative documenting the program here. Uh, we got Mark Kenyon will be on site a few times this year. Um, but we're gonna we're gonna document the program, so you'll see a lot more of that, and uh, and we'll show you what it's like. Tell us, Corey, I'm gonna make him the face of the Deer Association. Good. Got a new logo. Look at that mug. Yeah. That. Get ready. Yeah. Talking about taking a beautiful organization and taking it downhill, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was coming to you next, buddy. You're up. I wanted to ask you about you know speaking of the Habitat Committee that Hank mentioned. Um, you know, let's hear you know. When that started, how that's been going this year, I know we talked to Chad a little bit about it and what he's done. Let's hear what, you're, what you've done and what you're about to do. I see the tractor, the trailer out there loaded up, almost ready to go. You're heading there. Yeah. This weekend to play a fall plot. Yeah, we're done um, here. Let's talk about it. How's this start and what have you done this year? Yeah, so when we found out that uh, the NDA was going to be gifted this property by, uh, by me here, uh, we, had a, we had a call and uh, our branch resides in 
where, where the property is located in Hillsdale County. And uh, myself, uh, a couple people from this, uh, from our branch, Drew, um, John Neville, uh, Eric Snell, and uh, Chad Bailey. And Chad, Chad's the brains and behind this operation where the work could be. And Chad's just got a wealth of knowledge. He's a habitat expert. He is. He absolutely is. Um, so Chad has me hired out this weekend to uh, <laughs> to turn some dirt and spread some seed and told me to roll over with a call packer up afterwards. So um, so this weekend we're going to go out and we have some some small uh, uh, transition plots to plant. I, have, I think there's about, I think we're, I believe there's four that we're going to plant. We have four that are roughly between a quarter and a half acre that are going to be transition, transition plots heading out, uh, having the deer stop there before heading to destination food. Uh, so uh, any of the hunters uh, can can have a, a crack at them. And, and, and I, really, I do that on my, on my property. I don't have destination food either. And, and the idea behind that is really to slow the deer down before the, between the time they wake up and want to get moving again and start browsing and the time it gets dark. So uh, the goal is to actually really not have them hit destination food until dark or after dark, giving them time to uh, maybe get past a, a hunter or two and uh, for the bucks that and get some age class on them. And then the does become very predictable on these uh, small little transition plots as well. Uh, so so Chad's been the huge, you know, the driving guy behind all this. Uh, I run anything or everything that I've been uh, plant behind uh, across him and, and Drew Gilby as well. It's been uh, a huge influence on the whole habitat community here. Uh, he's got just, just the guy just looks at things differently and thinks of things we don't see access and uh, different, you know, varieties and timing of the plant. And so it, it's really a, a cool little core group that we have yeah. looking at the habitat. And also we're all very concerned being Michigan hunters. Um, you know, you look at a program like Field of Fork, and I'll, I'll address the elephant in the room. Uh, in Michigan, we have a very, very high deer hunting population, right? Uh, I know Hank mentioned 5% of the country. Uh, I think... Uh, if, you know, whatever that number is, most of those guys are, we feel, we feel like they're here in Michigan. So if you go to somebody in Michigan, and, and this has always been my thing, if you go to somebody in Michigan and say, hey, we want to recruit more hunters, we don't think the, you know, 20 gun hunters in your square mile are enough. We'd like to make that 25. Sometimes we, we as hunters and people yeah. that want to shoot nice bucks and, you know, sick of our neighbors shooting small bucks, uh, get you know, almost put off by it. It's almost an offensive thing. We don't want to accept it. But if you think about what the NDA and formerly, again, the QDMA has done here in, in educating those hunters around age class and health of the deer herd and improving the habitat to be able to handle those amount of deer, uh, personally, I'm helping a farmer near where I live in uh, Canton, Michigan, uh, because he actually doesn't make any money because his deer, the deer numbers over there, because no, there aren't the amount of hunters that there should be based on the amount of woods and habitat. He actually makes, last year he had a 100 acre uh, cornfield, cornfield, he couldn't, he couldn't harvest. 100 acres. 100 acres. 100 acres, trash. We do have the deer numbers. Yep. It would not have been worth the diesel fuel on a tractor to do that. So uh, he, he's gotten some, you know, deer management permits and, uh, 
I met him through somebody, and he asked me to come out and, and help. And of course, in August, of course, I'm going to go out and uh, go out and stretch out the 350 uh, legend and scratch the itch. Yeah, scratch the itch, and and, uh, and really get some reps in before I start doing it, uh, you know, in real life uh, on my own. But the habit, the habitat out on the back 40. Our goal is to to make it so it can uh, have increased amount of food for the deer that live there. And, and, and early trail cameras on the property show that there's a fair amount of deer that are on the property. And, and Chad's actually idea, and uh, I love it, it's turning out great so far. We had 64 acres, let's just say that out of that 64 acres, 40 of it is true ag ground. And, and none of it has actual row crops planted in it. But uh, Chad's idea was to plant that in, in uh, some sort of uh, deer cover to create the cover for the deer and also provide some browse and forbs, and, uh, and, and that's what we've done. And it's just the first year of planting switchgrass. Uh, we planted about 20 acres roughly, rough and tough, 20, 22 acres of switchgrass. But there's a lot of native forbs coming up, rag, uh, ragweed, uh, goldenrod, um, and also... It has an obscene amount of cedars and um, just different, a really good diversity of trees coming up, and we're going to let them just keep coming up through that switchgrass and really create an area where, where deer can come, be safe, but also get uh, a balanced nutrition as well. Uh, so uh, the neighbors are going to benefit from this um, really more than actually any of the hunters because that that property is going to really help support, you know, that part of that square mile, if you will. So it just really, it, it really shows that even 64 acres within a, a square mile, which is 10%, what's it, 640 acres in a square mile, so 10% of a square mile, one-tenth of a square mile, um, it can really help improve the quality of hunting for everybody. Yeah. So imagine if we doubled that just in that square mile or tripled that. Um, and that's what we're dealing with where we're sitting right now. I have 70, there's 70 acres here that I'm trying to do the same thing. But my neighbors across the street have 85. The other guy has 60. The other guy has 250. So on this, you know, rough and tough 400, 500 acres, it's amazing what you can do by just, just investing a little bit of time, really. Chainsaw work, a little bit of four-wheeler or disc or having somebody come out and help you. Uh, work. It's amazing what you can really do for the uh, animals. And it's not only just the deer. Uh, we're full of, you know, groundhogs and raccoons and fox. And, uh, you know, actually it's pretty sweet. If you walk out here within 30 seconds, you'll see, you know, a dozen monarch butterflies just from the milkweed that's coming up on the property from not disking it down and, and planting, you know, uh, row crops into it, letting some of the native vegetation and, and sea thing uh, uh, emerge. So, it's really cool to see. I, I five years ago I wouldn't understood it. Five years ago I understood Roundup in, in Nebraska. Um, I think I mentioned that on uh, forty forty whatever. Uh, I think episode forty that uh, you and I had a conversation on that I didn't even know switchgrass wasn't you know two thousand seventeen here two thousand eighteen. Then in two thousand eighteen I plant this literally in this twenty acre field. There's over one mile of switchgrass. Okay screens because this is a big ag field and it's all sand and the soil's torched from just the, the farming and farmers have to do what they have to do to, to, to produce the crops that they need and I don't fault them whatsoever but uh, bringing this back to its uh, its native state is going to benefit uh, it's going to benefit more than me. Yeah you hit a bunch of different cool points there and um, 
I'm so scatterbrained that I want to cover all of them. Let me jump back. Yeah, to go ahead. Things that I took note of. One, um, you know, you, you touched on hunter numbers and densities, and yeah, I, I like mean, nobody wants I, all their neighbors hunting their. Oh yeah, right? and, well the neighbors yeah, always the enemy. Yeah. The neighbors always the enemy, and 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 uh, yeah, I mean that, that's just where your head, people's heads get that. But every time, look, you know, my connection to NDA, which was QDMA was my step-grandfather was a QMA member because they started a co-op in, in southwestern Mississippi in the 90s. And they took them from, you know, shooting little bucks to, um, you know, Mississippi usually usually leads the country in uh, the percentage of three-and-a-half-plus-year-old bucks in the harvest, which can be up to, like, 70 80% or three-and-a-half-plus. And, um, I mean, that's just the hunting culture. Like, wow. So that's where I, like, learned to hunt. My parents didn't hunt, um, you know. My, so um, I remember going down there, and, and you couldn't shoot at a buck in the state when I was a kid that didn't have four points. And I had never killed a deer in a little four-point walk in front of me. And let me tell you, for a lot of our field sports, I mean, um, the it's in the eye of the beholder. Yeah, we we let yeah. we let people shoot anything that they want to put in the cooler or whatever. And um, and, and actually, the Wall Street Journal article that we got ended uh, with them talking about uh, a fawn, and then you know they said, oh, they wouldn't shoot that. Well, well, honestly, we've we've harvested a, a, a number of fawns over the years, and they're just as delicious as the rest of them. But it's got better. I mean, I've heard. Yeah, I've heard. Yeah, I've heard. I I would know. The spots come off in the crockpot was the old saying. <laughs> uh, but no, honestly, like I've I've like horned a whole venison ham. I mean, like when you get a smaller deer, they fit in the pot easier. I mean, like I've, you know, deer Michigan bucks. Yeah, yeah, have you heard of deer? Have you heard of veal? Yeah, 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 I have, right? So, I mean, you know, I mean, a buck, hindquarter around here can outgrow the, the up. I mean, you, you oh, have yeah. big deer. I mean, I just felt like my, probably my biggest Michigan buck was dressed up with, like, 200, 199 or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, the does here are big deer. Yeah. Um, so, so, let's get back. So, yes, you do have a lot of hunters, and there is a lot of competition, and there's a lot of this, um, and, and the co-ops, I mean, you have a, a high prevalence of co-ops because of this. It's, we have to. Um, but also, I would say, and don't hold me to it, but I, I, I'm pretty sure that the number of licenses sold in Michigan are down like 25% off their higher sum. So, so actually, there's a lot fewer hunters in the state than there were. Um, you know, so so it's like, it's reality versus perception, and, and I'm not belittling this point either. Also, in Georgia, where we started Build the Fork, um, Heck, I was in South Carolina for an NDA banquet sat- last Saturday or last Thursday. Their gun season came in on Saturday or Sunday. It was August 15th. Is what, in Georgia? Deep in in right low country South Carolina. In, in the wow. low country of South Carolina. August 15th is the start of rifles. They don't have archery season. They have deer season. Okay? You can't shoot a doe until September 15th. And then it's, it's deer season until January 1st. So... If you got a so don't don't think that I what Corey said is so true and and I don't take it I don't you know I don't take it lightly I understand the acts that we're making of these mentors here uh, even in Georgia where we started filled the fork where I was getting a second ago what we did is we gave the mentors opening day of archery season so our archery season like North Carolina Georgia I think are probably the same this year Saturday September 11th is opening day of archery season. 
we would let them hunt opening day, and we would ask them to dedicate their second weekend of archery season to our field to fork program. And then, uh, you know, those hunters could hunt until you know, January 15th. So the season is that long. When we're asking somebody to give up, you know, two to four days of their deer season, it's it's not a huge, it's not as big an ask. Yeah. Ask people in Michigan, ask people in New York State to give up a day or two of their rifle season, of a 10-day season or whatever, um, you know, to give up deer on, on smaller properties and stuff like that. It, it's, it's a large ask. And so... I want to make sure that people understand we we understand that like we we don't say that widely. We're very thankful for the dedication and, and the commitment. Um, and, and it is different. You know, hunting is very different in different parts of the world, and, and the programs kind of respond to that. So it's it's a very interesting thing how much we all share this passion and and, and culture of hunting, but it's very different throughout the country. Great point, and, and I'm glad you brought that up because I think like you know. I've been guilty of in the past. I know I know people are like, hey, why do I want to go have somebody on my property shooting does, you know, two weeks before bow season opens, right? Well, the youth hunt, too. People in Michigan complain about the stinking youth hunt. Like, mm. how can you actually complain about the youth hunt and not, you know, and feel good about yourself? It might be a little harsh, but, like, get these kids in it. He might so it's like, the youth season in the state of New York. I, I have to say I'm a little, and I'm not, don't, don't think that I'm knowledgeable of this, but I'm just kind of regurgitating what I think I know. But I believe it took years, if it didn't even pass it all in every county, but it took years to get a youth season in the state of North Carolina, I mean, in New York. And, and even this year, it's the first year that you can deer hunt in the state of New York if you're under 14 or 16 or whatever. They have an age limit that's pretty high. It's the highest in the country. And this year, just to test it, to see if it was safe, which hunting is super safe, y'all. Playing volleyball is 16 times more dangerous than going hunting, deer hunting. You yeah, know? I'll twist my hand the, Yeah. <laughs> so driving to and from the deer stand is the most dangerous yeah. part of deer hunting, yeah. and the most yeah. dangerous part of actual deer hunting is deer stands. And people think, oh, there's guns and broadheads involved. It's got to be dangerous. Hunting is very safe. Yeah. Um, wear a lifeline. Wear a harness. You know, the, the, the stands are the dangerous part. Um, but, I mean, hunting is very safe. Um, people need to just get out there and do it. Sure. But. I would say it's a lack of education if you think it's unsafe, right? Yeah. It's just like, uh, I think, going out to dinner at a restaurant is very unsafe. There's knives on every single table, you know, sharp pockets everywhere, you know. So, it, it really, it's 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 just being educated and exposed. And I think what, you, what you're doing with NDA and exposing people to it and educating them and it's not just taking them out hunting even giving them a taste of success by bringing them to a property that can uh, likely harvest an animal it's the education piece that the NDA is doing uh, which this experience with you uh, Hank has, has really opened my eyes around all the education you're doing uh, and just the online education that you're doing this uh, the field day that we're going to have tomorrow and then uh, the field days also, you know, obviously we're not only shooting, we're going to take them out to that property and show them how deer stands are set up and why we're setting them up, where we're setting them up, and what we're looking at as far as safety. And we're looking at it twice as hard because, one, we understand what it would look like to not have a safe environment. And, and two, we're going to educate our, our, our people, really, on, on this is why we're doing what we're doing. So you're safe, so our, hunt, our mentors are safe, our mentees are safe, and then you can come out and have a great experience and not have to think about, you know, any risk and, and, and come and enjoy yourself and really learn. So I think what you're doing with the NDA and exposing hunters and, 
and, and the whole the whole comment around the Michigan the Michigan or in Pennsylvania and a lot of ties everywhere. Yeah, right. Uh, the high density areas. I mean, any any of the big buck hunting states, the Ohio, Illinois, uh, Iowa, uh, Missouri. I mean, they're overrun. Let's just call it overrun by hunters. They're everywhere because uh, people enjoy going out to the outdoors. Um, and, and it doesn't mean that it has to take uh, the experience away from other people. Um, and I think, Jared, honestly, just what you're doing with Habitat and educating people on how to uh, improve the land that they're on, it just makes it better for you uh, as a landowner or somebody, you know, managing a property because you can you can help, you know, keep the health of the herd that way. You can keep uh, you can keep the deer in a certain area. So, heck, if you're a Habitat manager, you shouldn't worry about your neighbors, right? I was going to say, um, you brought up a great point there. Like, if you're always concerned about your neighbors, you know, there's things you can do habitat-wise to, to get around that. My neighbors on my north and south border on 15 acres. Yeah. Actually, they're only on, like, 8 of the 15. They're on both sides. That's a compliment to me, I think. You know, uh, thank you for, for um, realizing where the deer are moving and, and hunting, hunting near them. I appreciate that. You keep an eye on my property for me if I'm out there. I, it's okay. I get to access to their property. They, they're nice to me. I'm nice to them. Communication is key. Being a community is key, like Hank said. And, yeah, we have a ton of hunters, but at the same time, we're doing this sit-down right here, this field of fork, everything. The point of this, this podcast series, is to get more people to help out and do this sort of program. Volunteer for the field of fork. Be a mentor. Um, take a new person hunting. Like, that's, what we're, that's what we're after here. I mean, you named a ton of different facts there in the, in the beginning that just were eye-opening to me that I had no idea about. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, really it comes down to is what we're, you know, I've always told people that, you know, some of your most rewarding hunts are when you take someone new. And, of course, like a, a parent or grandparent or whatever, I mean, they're, they're going to love taking their kid or grandkid, and then that'll be some of their most rewarding hunts. I'll tell you, outside of, you know, your family, and we touched on, like, why we need to mentor people outside of our peer group or outside of our family because we need to be planting these seeds of hunters in other diverse communities. But um, outside of, you know, taking that kid or grandchild, I, I will tell you that your most rewarding hunt will be taking another a first-time adult because you can just connect on a different level. You can drink a beer after the hunt. I mean... Um, but these hunts, are, the these hunts are fun. No, when the guns are put away, it's yeah. also typically. But look, I mean, this is an adult program, and from day one, when we when we were done shooting the crossbows at the former QDMA National Office, we were cracking the beers and we were serving venison meals, and we were sitting watching some powerpoints or, or having an educational discussion about deer hunting or whatnot. But it's about breaking down those barriers and, and just you know letting people like let their guards down, and and that's the craziest part is. You know, we had all these diverse people we had recruited from the farmer's market. We had all these traditional hunters. And you know what they realized is that um, the the seasoned hunters were inspired, empowered, because, A, they, they, they remembered their early hunts and, and their first experiences as hunting by seeing it in this other adult. But at the same time, they were valued by this diverse community, and, and they will be tomorrow because... Um, they have a knowledge that these new hunters are, are hoping to gain, and they need that tutelage and that guidance, and they they need that person there to 
answer their text message or, or be beside them in the deer stand or whatnot to, to get them to uh, to be in a hunter. And um, and at the, at the same time, people talk about just the infectious nature of like the camaraderie and like the, the it, it just is the passion for deer hunting. It, it can be universal. So it, it, people don't don't have to look like you or think like you, but everybody can get behind going out and harvesting some backstraps or, or whatever. And so uh, it, it just creates this, like, fun thing. So it, it's, A, it's fun. And then from, like, the aspiring hunter or whatever aspect, I mean, our mantra is, like, you know, deer hunting may be perceived as dawning, but I would argue that most of, like, the barriers to entry that people, people think exist are perceived and not a reality. Like, they're... In 2016, as few hunters as we're, you know, we think it, it stinks that only 5% of American hunt. There's still 11.5 million people, 8 million people that go deer hunting every fall. Yeah. So, you know, you can do this, um, and, and that's really our mantra. Is like, that, there's a lot of people that do this, and it might seem daunting, but this is easy and attainable to anybody who puts their mind to it. And so we're just trying to give them a little confidence, inspire them to continue. But if you have an interest in hunting, uh, you know, you can do it. Yeah. We can all do it. We all do it. And, yeah. and, I mean, you might make a mistake here and there. I, I mean, I've popped a stomach on a deer at the back 40 last December. I mean, I've gutted a lot of deer in my life. And I don't know what happened. And my gut uh, popped popped or whatever. I mean, luckily, Mark Kenyon could have burned me. He could have put all the footage on the back 40 episode he wanted to. Uh, <laughs> I, I was fine with it. But, I mean, look, you can't really screw this up. Yeah. Like, the old adage, there's a hundred ways to skin a cat or whatever. Guess what? You probably skin a deer different than I skin a deer, and Corey skins a little different, guts are different, and Mark Kenyon does it different I than I do. I didn't know that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, everybody does it different, but you can't mess it up. You just, like, we can all do this, and, and uh, you know. So if you're sitting on the sideline, get out there, and if you're thinking about mentoring somebody, um, do it. It, it's so much fun, and we really need you to do it. You know, you, you say it's, it's daunting. You know it's more daunting to me than hunting? Exercising. <laughs> going to the gym at 5 in the morning. I don't want to hear that. You, I talked to you the other day on the phone. I called you about something right. that I just so worked out for your morning. Habitat management. That's your exercise. No, yeah, you I go out there and I sweat out. in 90 degrees. You know, I go out there and I lose weight that way. It's this guy. He pops on here. And then, yeah. Yeah, no, I, like, that's, to me, that's not my wife said work up beef. I think hunting is way less dirty than that. So everybody who exercises should always build a hunt. That's what I'm saying. Exercising is more intimidating than hunting because you, you expect immediate results. Yeah. And, and with hunting, regardless as if you, you know, pull the trigger on an animal, you're go out and be in nature. Listen to the birds wake up. It's the most amazing connection you'll ever have. Wait till, you know, hunting evening as it starts getting dark and have deer enter your field. Whether you shoot them or not, like, wow, that's what's supposed to happen and it just did. That's success, right? In the morning when the woods wakes up, watching the woods wake up is one of the coolest things in the world. It's actually why I like turkey hunting. It's just because I get to do that now in, uh, what, uh, April and May. True. Yep. And I think, you know, I've, I've had the luxury of taking a lot of new people um, ice fishing. One of my friends, it's, it's like a very easy barrier entry is ice fishing. Um, we also go out there, you drink, we have a good day, I think, deer camp, but we're on the ice. And um, I tell you what, I've, I've successfully gotten like three to six people in the past ten years into it. Into it. Oh, yeah. Like bites, they're yeah, all tiny. Yeah, like I'm fishing me type into it. And yeah. it's awesome. And that's like that, that's exciting. So if this is even on like a higher level, pulling the trigger out of deer and filling your freezer, we're talking 
there are a yeah, lot. No. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot of great meat. And so really you, then you get to know like all these different new hunters through doing this, and, and there are those people who will just bite it off and chew on their own. And and there'll be a couple like that there today that haven't killed a deer yet. You know what? I think it's the eighty twenty rule in life. I mean, okay. so so we were we're tracking you know eighty percent of our field report participants continuing hunting. And I, I mean, I've run programs that. You know, we've done community-based ones, kind of like we're doing here, but we do have a fairly broad audience coming into this event. You know, a lot of people are traveling an hour or two to get here. So we we tried to recruit in kind of the southeast area. You know, when we were doing all farmers market recruitments, we might be getting everybody from like a 20-minute radius, you know. And so I call those kind of more community um, events. And then you have like your destination model where you, you get, you know, we would get access to a ranch in Texas and do a four-day program, and, and we would – we weren't really offering a follow-up opportunity. And you would think, like, oh, you won't have the same recruitment rate or, like, continuance rate because you didn't offer another time for them to come back if they weren't successful or whatever. But, but we had events that were like this, four-day events, and, and I've done them like that in Georgia. I've done them like that in Texas where every single one of those hunters purchased a license the next year. Wow. And so we've, we've had events that 100% continued, and we've had events that fewer. And, and I'll tell you, like, um, you know, some of it is, is regional. Like, it, it is, we hosted events in New Hampshire and Vermont, and it, I think it's Vermont. If, I might be wrong. It might be New Hampshire. The mentor had to give up their deer tag. Like, they have an apprentice license, but they don't get a tag. And the mentor had to give up a deer to take the yeah, hunter. I mean, so look at that barrier to entry right there. Like, I mean, and, and you know, some New York didn't even have online hunter education until COVID broke out. And we would be in these northeast states and, and you know, interviewing hunters, you know, at, at our events. And they'd be like, I actually took hunter education like two or three years ago, but I could never get into the in-person field day to actually get my license. Or, I mean, we've created all these barriers to entry, whether we want to admit it or not. We're working to get those out of the way. You know, Corey's talking about our education. We've got a ton of great educational resources that we're trying to put out there to, to allow these avenues. Um, but, you know, we can get all these new hunters out there. We want to inspire them. But, um, you know, it, it, again, it's just about building that confidence and giving them the resources. Now, that's awesome. I think um, the fact that you're doing this and trying to get into these other states um, is huge. And it's kind of part of my goal with this, again, is to get more people into this. I know I was trying to find his name, and I found it. It was Brad Thomas. He reached out from Iowa after the first podcast. So he wanted to get a hold of you and put together something on its own out there. So yeah. I'm going to throw the call to action to the listeners. If you guys want to start something like this, um, hit us up on Facebook, Instagram. You know, message me. I'll put you in touch with Hank. And yeah. um, I'll my email is just hankadeerassociation.com. There you go. It's all over the Build the Fork page and everything, so you can find it. I got a little sidetracked there, but you know. The 80-20 rule, you know, the 80% continuing about a national average. Yeah. I really don't think we'll beat that because I think it, it's kind of that 80-20 rule, as, as we were talking about, in the opposite effect of, like, I think that 20% of people may try hunting on their own without a mentor. But that other 80% needs somebody, just like you're talking about ice fishing. Yeah. Like, those, those maybe lifelong ice fishermen now, yeah. they probably wouldn't have gotten started without you taking them out of there that first time. And so 80% intimidating. Yeah. And so I think 80% of Americans probably need somebody to, to show them the ropes. And then you've got that 20% that 
might bite off and chew on their own. And there's a couple of those that will be there tomorrow that, in, you know, in the surveys, and we kind of mentioned earlier, they bought a license and set up against a tree on public land and didn't see a deal last year. Yeah. And so uh, they're going to be a great right. candidate. But you got that, and then, and then back to, like, the continuance rate. We'll take people, and, and there'll probably be people in this program that'll go deer hunting. Um, on on sur- some surveys back in the day, and it used to kind of get me when I read them, but, it, like, who am I to judge? People would say, I just want to do it once. Like, one of my, a guy I mentored in Field of Fork, he killed his first deer with me um, in a deer stand in Georgia, but he, his wife was a vegan, and he said, I like to eat meat. I think he's in a video we made one time, and I think he said, um, I can't remember how he said it, but it was, he said something to the effect of I like to eat meat, and it always kind of it stood out to me, but he said, I just decided that if I'm going to eat meat, I need to know what it's like to kill an animal. And so he told me he told me he was going to do it once, and I was like, mm, I just don't like that answer. Like, you just want to try it. Like, I'm trying to create hunters here. But I just decided, like, who am I to judge this person? Like, let's let's take that. And great guy um, from Athens, Georgia. So we get out there one morning. The deer walks by in this little road disappears. I said, do you see that deer? And I could tell he thought I was joking because he didn't see the deer, you know. Luckily, he goes through his big patch, does a U-turn, comes back to like 25 yards, makes a perfect shot. I see it. I see it kind of tumble inside. He, he didn't see it. But we go down there, we find this deer, and, and he we, we get it for him. He takes it to the process or whatnot. I saw him out. Uh, I was like grabbing breakfast before work one day, months later. I said, Evan, how's it going? You know, how's the deer? He's like, oh, man, I've had buddies over. I made this, I made that. You know, his, his guy, buddies, whatever. He said, my wife's mad at me. I'm ready to go back. I'm out, of, I'm out of meat, and I'm ready to go again. You know, and so, like, so people have these, like, you know, you know, what they think they're going to find or whatever, but he's still hunting today. Okay. Um, so if I would have, if I would have said, oh, I don't like that, you know, you just want to try it. Like, he, he got hooked. He likes still in his freezer. He likes still, and he likes eating it. Um, I don't think we converted his wife, um, but but everybody's different, and and, um, and we can have a lot of fun together deer hunting. I think you made a comment about you know teaching uh, new hunters not only just to be out there, but what to do if you are successful, and uh, that resonated with me. I, I, I've met so many people in this beautiful state of Michigan where the tradition was to go into northern Michigan. Uh, where there isn't a cornfield or ag, you know any agricultural field to be found within miles, and deer that live off of the rocks and the cedars, and and really uh, their diet's a little bit different. Um, but then, but then it's the how to take care of the game piece of it as well. And I've noticed that anyone I've served venison to that have that you know uh, block in their head around eating deer and being gamey. Anyone I've, uh, I've served it to, they don't believe me that it's, that it's venison. And, and, and I am not a master butcher, and I butcher most of my own deer, but I'm no way, shape, or form a master butcher. But if we can educate that it's, you know, maybe it's not what you tasted when, imagine, let's just pretend you're 40 or, you know, 30, 40, 50 years old, and imagine you tried venison when you were 10 or 15 years old, and, you know, and that's what sticks with you. It was well done, the guy driven around with well, the back of truck for two Believe it or not, I do yeah, think yeah. age is a determinant here. I mean, um, you In know. In terms of the deer or the person? The, the view of venison. I think that older generations were served some pretty nasty venison. Right. Like, people didn't know how to cook it. Um, 
a lot of people might not realize, but like the first modern deer season was in Kentucky in the early 50s. I mean, there were entire generations of Americans that didn't deer hunt because there weren't deer. And I think there were deer numbers in Michigan for my, um, you know, forever, pretty much. Yeah. But like, my dad's not a deer hunter. When he was a kid, they would drive up the mountain an hour in hopes of seeing a deer at sunset on the Blue Ridge Parkway. Like, there weren't deer. There weren't turkeys. And so, like, this, this like, loss of hunters, there, there's more reasons than just people moving away from the farm. They're, they weren't there. Um, so, you know, there is this, that, you know, this, this deer has come back. But they, they ate, I think, and, and obviously I'm making gross generalizations, but I think they ate a lot of bad venison. Yeah, because yeah. it's easy to cook that bad venison. Oh, oh yeah, oh, I mean God. I've done it. I mean I've accidentally. If you want to eat better venison, get a meat thermometer, a digital, quick, instant read so meat thermometer. So for four dollars and ninety nine cents, I can make my venison taste. Don't ever cook it. Pull it at one thirty. Yeah. Pull it at one thirty five. Let it rest. But eat it. People took it home from the field, and and you know one of the cool parts, and, and what you're kind of getting at is like I we don't like the deer camp. Like the the Michigan yeah. Big Woods Deer yeah. Camp, um, you, on that earlier, you know people are gonna hate this, but um, I went dog deer hunting one time, and I'm not opposed to it where you can do it responsibly. Yeah, and guys, dogs don't actually like bite the deer; like yeah. they're way. Bite. It's just like you ever been rabbit hunting? I mean, the, the rabbits are way in front of the beagles, and you know, yeah. but. That still had that community that I think people had at deer camp 50 years ago, or you know, I'm I'm obviously more knowledgeable of the South where I'm from, but like it used to be that a bunch of people got together, they deer hunted. If people got a couple deer, they were split up. Everybody took home a little bit of deer. I mean, in modern world, like even in Field of Fork, you shoot a deer, we're giving you the whole thing. If you want to bring something back for the culinary social, or you want to share it, that's that's on you. But if you know you shoot a deer, that's your deal. But, like, that communal hunting used to exist, and it created more community. It was, it's like almost the co-op of today was just the average hunter of that day. It's like it was a group activity. They might not have even started hunting until after the sun rose. I mean, they, they might have had breakfast before they went out. The deer stand, like, hunting culture, I think, kind of killed a lot of our community. And, and like... You know, it's a double-edged sword. I mean, it's it, it's great. We our deer populations are really healthy, and the, you know, you know, hunters are fanatics about this kind of stuff. But you know, you could argue that at the same time we lost this like man drive community aspect of it. You know, split up the deer, but at the same time, where I was getting at is, you know, the, the venison might not have been as handled as well. Some guy might have taken just a random roast home. Um, to somebody who didn't cook it well, but um, my favorite part of the original Field of the Forks was, was setting up the table at the farmer's market, and I did most of the cooking, and I loved you make? So we would, uh, I would do a venison backstrap with a chimichurri, okay. and I almost, like, got away from, ask, like, kind of marketing the chimichurri because I think people thought I was trying to hide gaminess. And I was like, I was, so I'd be like, you know, you can try the chimichurri if you want to, but, like, just try a piece of the venison. And then we would do, uh, you know, some kind of venison sausage. We would do jerky. Um, and we would kind of have the spread there, toothpicks, whatever. And that, that was our leadoff is, hey, would you like to try some venison? Take me up on that. And then I'm going to ask you, have you ever had venison before? You know, or, you know, before they bite it, maybe you like venison. Have you ever had it before? And, you know, oddly, a lot of people would say they eat venison, but not many were hunters. And then we'd say, hell, you know, we're actually here 
to recruit people who want to learn to deer hunt to source this on their own, you know? Yeah. And yeah, there was the hook. But the lead off was, hey, would you like to try some venison? And I love being that, you know, front of house, sitting there, like, try this. I cooked this today. Like, try Oh, you think venison's gamey? Just take a bite of that. And I'll tell you that the venison you had that was gamey was either poorly handled in the field or prepared incorrectly because venison should not be gaming, especially not the fawns. But no, uh, <laughs> venison should not be gaming. Um, I, but but it is. It seems to be. It seems to me that it's generational of this. Oh, I don't like venison. It's terrible. It's gaming. Cooks have gotten better. Stephen Ranella may be a part of that. Um, Hank Shaw. Who knows? Yeah. But we've gotten better at cooking venison. We serve more venison. And honestly. You know, you know, I always credit Ranella for this, but venison diplomacy. I really think we can do more by inviting non-hunters over to our houses and saying, hey, have a venison meal with me. You know, this is going to be delicious. Oh, you like that? Would you like to go hunt? Should I tell them or not tell them? I'm on the fence there. Like, um, I swear, I smoked some wild turkey breasts one year, like in a brine, like, you know, in a pan, kind of, with liquid. And I didn't tell, I, I've got family members who don't like, you tell them it's venison, and they're like, no, oh, yeah, no, 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 yeah. the middle block. So I didn't tell them that it was wild turkey, and everybody's like, this is the best turkey. I, I shocked myself how good yeah, it I was. Yeah, I got a good you know, like, I mean, this is yeah, wild Yeah, but I didn't tell them that it wasn't a butterball. Um, but, yeah, I mean, look, y'all, you can't, you can't replicate, like, a good beef steak with venison. It's not possible. Like, you can't, um, you can't shoot a butterball turkey on the back 40. You can shoot a wild turkey, and when we teach you how to breast it, you're going to realize it doesn't look anything like the turkey that you got at the grocery store. Um, they're different, but if you learn how to cook them, um, oh, it should be good. But I love I love serving the food people, and, and I, we'll be cooking tomorrow. We're going to have um, venison sausages I've made, a few different types. I just threw about 30 Links in a cooler. We're having like some uh, sausage rolls with peppers and onions and sausages. And I actually, uh, I have uh, some. I think five, four, five, six back straps thought out right now. There you go. Sections. So maybe equivalent to to maybe uh, actually a whole harvested deer uh, thought out right now and and ready to go uh, for tomorrow. So we'll have some nice uh, steaks tomorrow, and, and I can't wait to try that. I really want to try the sausage because. You know, I like to diversify. You know, yeah, I love to diversify. You know, and just I was always looking for different ways to use the venison because uh, I like eating it. I like feeding it to my family versus, uh, you know, something done at a butcher shop somewhere or some uh, slaughterhouse. And uh, I enjoy protein and red meat, so I, I want to try to procure it on my own. And I, sometimes I can grow my own jalapeno peppers too. I mean, you know, I'm guilty. Literally feels important. Yeah, but you made a comment about turkey and. Uh, I've always heard that wild turkey was just not very good. Really strong flavor in here. Yeah. 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 Uh, so I, I, I'm rough and tough. Yeah, we took out, we took out, yeah, Drew is a turkey yeah. calling master. That guy, if you want to go kill a bird, you could you hire Drew Gilby and uh, I think he works for maybe a bush light or something, right? But, uh, uh, I don't think Drew drinks bush light. No, he drinks really good crap beer. Yeah, <laughs> Drew, Drew's classy. Drew is oh, uh, bush light. Drew is uh, yeah, yeah, bush light with a little uh, shot of, uh, what was that, fireball in it? Oh, Apple pot. Well, if he's a turkey slayer, we should switch it to wild turkey in there. Yeah, wild turkey. There you go. But so I, I remember the first time I, I shot my first turkey. I'm, I've been hunting my entire life, and I had never really wanted a turkey on because of just what I've heard. And here I am, a hunter. 
uh, potentially capable, let's say potentially capable. And when I bought this farm in 2018, I'm like, I'm going to buy a turkey license. I'm going to shoot a turkey. And so I shot a turkey, and I had that. And uh, I'm not – man, it was the best chicken, turkey, whatever you want to call it, you know. I literally – I shot it on – let's just say I shot it on like a Monday or Tuesday – I threw it in Italian dressing on, on Wednesday. I remember throwing an Italian dressing on Wednesday. And on Friday night, actually, speaking of Drew, Drew and my dad were here. And I don't know why. We were here out, out here at the farm. Had an Italian dressing. Threw it on the grill. Found some morels while we were turkey hunting. Grilled those up in butter and garlic and uh, you name it, salt and pepper. And it... I, I want to shoot every turkey I see, but obviously you can't because you have to, you know, abide by the law, apparently. Uh, but uh, it, 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 all these things I've heard or maybe when I've tried it in the past at a show or something like that. You know, take Yeah, and, and I, I try it, and it's just amazing. I mean, it's just good. It's not gaming. It's just great meat. Yeah. You know, it's great food, yeah. you know, and... And, and, and you mentioned the camaraderie and the camps and the people. And, and Jared, you and I are on a, on a, on a lease together in southern Ohio with with a couple really, you know, a couple other friends of ours. And I, I don't care about the deer hunting there. I care about the, I care about the community that we're forming and the shipping container that we're building to. Yeah, we're staying in a tin can. It's gonna be awesome. A tin a can, tin can, right? I mean, don't let this, Brian's not gonna listen to that because he's offended. He thinks it's a mansion. So you got a great name for your hunting camp down there, but you haven't named this property yet. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 I mean, I'm ready for hats or t-shirts. Camp tin can. That's great. Yeah, that's great. No, I yeah, hear it. I think we should probably name this farm today. What do you think? I mean, you know. Um, I, we can't help with that. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, how about cluster white like, <laughs> network in this podcast? This show. To your point, though, um, like every November fifteenth, I am in Northern Michigan on public land. Every November fifteenth. But you own property in Jackson County, the best county in, in the state of Michigan, the biggest bucks in the state of Michigan. Why aren't you there? I've never hunted it. Opening day, I've got to. I've got to hunt it. Colorado. My community, how I grew up. Brotherhood. I want to see a bus hole. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. You come up It's literally that's what we do every yeah. year. And like, I mean, I I hunt out of state. You talk like Ohio or um, Illinois or any of these states. November 15th or like the 10th through the 20th. National holiday. It's the best time in the world to be out of state at these later rough spots. Nope, northern Michigan. Basement tree. National holiday. That's uh, I remember going uh, when I was some. It's uh, part of my. A 40. I graduated high school in 1999, um, and my buddy lived in Lewiston. Yeah. One of my best friends lived in Lewiston because he had gone to my school and then moved up back up to Lewiston. And they literally, I mean, I think it's called Joburg Lewiston. It's a high school. Literally had November 15th off. Yeah. And I'm down here in southern Michigan thinking, like, why don't we get it off? Yeah, I'm not going to school, but I have to, like, have my mom say I'm set, you know, right. so I can go out here. And actually, I did not play high school basketball. Uh, because I went, I went to deer. I went November fifteenth instead. I went to all the pre-seasons. I would have played. I was okay at, at basketball. I was, you know, tall, skinny, and I the only kid in my school that could dunk. at senior high school. I went down, you know, uh, down in Bedford, uh, and I literally didn't go to uh, tryouts for basketball. And therefore, the coach said I couldn't play. I mean, how ridiculous is that? You don't go to tryouts. You can't play. 
I thought if you, I thought if you're good enough at the job, you don't have to go to the interview. But apparently, you do. <laughs> um, and I remember this coach, and, and I, I wasn't talented. I would have been, I would have stopped after my senior senior year playing basketball. But I remember he was kind of like mad at me because I didn't show up, and so I never played school. I never played basketball for the school. I did in junior high, but I didn't play it in high school because November fifteenth. Guess what I did instead of playing JV basketball. I shot my first year. What do you think I remember more? Yeah. Sitting on the bench in JV basketball or pulling the trigger and hitting that year three out of five times to 75 yards? <laughs> tell you guys all about it right now. You know what I mean? It's just three, three out of four times. Well, three out of five. I'm pretty sure three out of five. Uh, basically, so you didn't even have to grind it. time still fell over. Yeah, liver shot on the first shot, and he was pretty hot on a dose, so he hung around, and so I just let me some more. Was that that big boy losing shot? So, no, where y'all had rifles? Oh, no, this is a 12 gauge little. Oh, 12 gauge rifle up there. Yeah, no, no, this was uh, this was in Lake Odessa, Michigan, oh, which okay. is halfway between Grand Rapids and Lansing. Yep. And I, man, I remember that day like it was yesterday. I remember that year, and I remember, I remember most. Well, of, I remember most of my year like every yesterday. I used to write them down, and I don't even think I need to. If you and I sat down and looked at pictures, I'd be like, boom, November 16th, you know, yep. 2008. Yeah, that's another fun thing about doing a field sport up here is we had to get all new rifles. You know, that's great wall cartridges. Sure. But uh, CVA helped us out, and uh, the 350 Legend seems like a nice little round. Uh, I got, I, I tried to get them on paper the other day, and that's, that's a nice little gun. The 350 Legend is, I, you know, it started with the 450s. Everybody was buying the 450s, right? right? That's the, the year I shot And that's, you know, that's 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 round I shot my guest in deer with it. How much is it? Yeah, it's a thumper. That's yeah, definitely yeah, a that's thumper. Yeah, I've yeah. heard it from Josh Hill. Yeah. 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 Bad story, and what we'll never do with one of these new hunters is I didn't shoot that guy before we went uh, and I would never do that. I would never yeah. do it with a field sport hunter or anything. But uh, you're, you're an experienced hunter. Uh, you're still not a good idea. I was, I was so nervous, you know, just the anxiety of not shooting that gun going into that. But uh, but yeah, that, that's a heck of a bumper round. Um, if you make a good shot with that round, I think it, it should get down. That's, it, that's it's a lot of fun. Okay. Yeah. I got like 10 deer with mine. I haven't dropped one yet. It wasn't 450? Yeah, I had a little high. I, I, I put one down with the 350 uh, helping that farmer out recently. Yeah, got it. But that 350 is a great round, too. And I'll, and get the girls. I'll tell you what, you slid it in at 50 yards. Yeah. And don't hold me to this, but it's dead on at 150. Because nice. it's, I, I want to say that you know it depends on the, the the weight of the round. It's about an inch and a half, two inches high at a hundred. Which at a hundred, if you're two inches high, you know you're you're, yeah, you're yeah. serving bass tracks for dinner. Four fifty drops a lot more than that. It does a bunch more. It does. I've been in a stand before, um, and I've had to look up the ballistics chart and I told it. Uh, I remember doe hunting uh, late doe season, and that a buddy of mine. Uh, with a buddy of mine, and, and I had a doe just camped out at 250 yards, and she wouldn't leave. And I'm looking up ballistics, and I'm just making sure that I'm right. And and I don't remember the numbers here, but I remember holding it right where I was supposed to. And the deer was uh, in the free, you know, in the freezer, and it was a very successful hunt. Nice. Um, which is just such a poke, but it's got a lot of energy at that round. But that 350 is, is a really cool round. Okay. Doesn't kick. I mean, really, my kids shoot it, and they, awesome. they feel like they don't need, you know, a, a, a hard bench and a rest. So you're going to have up your head 350s? Yep. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So, so little 20-inch barrels, nice little, nice little gun. Okay. Yeah. So tomorrow, um, 
you know, Hank, you know, I know we're, we're going tomorrow, and, and, and you've, you've included me in a lot of this communication. We've talked about it. So what really does it look like for the, the people showing up tomorrow? What should they expect? Just the, the, the main point, you always start with the range. It's the bottleneck of any program because you got to spend the time. You know, you want them to be proficient. You need them to get real comfortable. So that's really the, the – the first priority is get them good on the guns and crossbows. Um, obviously, that community and serving some venison and getting to know each other and then uh, heading to the back 40 and let them see that property before deer season. It might be one of the last few times we're in there really rummaging around. Yeah. Um, we want to move some stands after we give them a tour tomorrow because, um, gosh, their hunts will be here in less than a month. Um but want to show them some deer signs, show them different stands, kind of talk about hunting approaches, that kind of stuff, um, answer their questions, and just get to know everybody. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I have, I have one more question for you before we wrap this up. Once you get everybody out there and say you have some successful hunters that shoot the deer, um, you know, how do you put the nail in the coffin, if you will? How do you, how do you make sure... They come back. Maybe not. Maybe make sure it's wrong term. But how do you like? What is the best way to get them to repeat that you guys have found? Is that through the meat, the, the dinner afterwards, or like what would you say is, is a good way? Maybe others could do on their own. Maybe too. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think getting them to continue comes down again to this like giving them that confidence level. Like, a, I'll try to stay short-winded on this one, but this. This is a, I believe that Creighton Hunter has two confidence levels, and we, we hit on one. If you don't give them the knowledge to feel comfortable to take care of a deer after the shot, they will not go again. But our goal here is to create a hunter. And, and like, of course, from a conservation standpoint, you can say a hunter is a licensed buyer. But what is, a, what is a hunter really? It's somebody who self-identifies it's a hunter. It's, it's, it's one of us who's like, I hunt, I can do it. Yeah. So that's, that's what we're trying to get these people to is, is we need them to ultimately self-identify as a hunter. Yeah. And that's a confidence level. I mean, uh, I've taken a lot of people hunting over the years and, and keep up with them over the years. And, and, and you know, some people need to go out next year too with a, with a mentor or whatever. Everybody's a different and, you know, everybody's an individual, but, you know, I, I've talked to these these people a year or two down the road that are, that are continuing to hunting, but they're, they're kind of still going with somebody, another landowner or whatever, and they're like, I know I need to go knock on doors, but it's daunting, you know, like, it, it's just getting that, con- like, they need that confidence to go knock on that door, and, and you know that, that, that's a lot of confidence, to knock on somebody's door and say, can I hunt on your back 40? And, and and don't worry, I'm I'm safe and, and I know what I'm yeah, doing. Yeah. You know, like to go to knock on somebody's door and be like, I've been hunting two years, I've killed one or two deer, uh I, you know, like that's a lot of confidence. And and so so we've taken people who um heck the guy I'm talking about is the guy who shoots the deer on the twenty eighteen build the pork video, uh, Frankie. I mean he hunted with me for a couple years, he hunted publicly and he hunted this, but like we talk on the man. I, I know I need to go knock on doors, but I, I just I'm, I'm daunted, you know. And so, so you've got to build that confidence to like say, you know what, I'm a hunter and I'm going to go do this, and I can do it. And so that that's the other confidence level.
Dude, that's the hardest thing. And I, now, my nine to five, man, is, is sales. I, I knock on doors and I get turned down. And and I remember, uh, I mean, my first sales jobs of, of, of going and knocking on doors and people telling me to pound sand. And, and I remember my first time knocking on someone's hunt door and someone, oh, sorry, my family hunts this. And, 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 and it's the same feeling of like defeat. But it's it's a numbers game, right? Like, yeah, there's people that are already hunting that property. That doesn't mean that there's not a property out there for you. So go knock on a door. And, and you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's a compliment to somebody to, to say that, you know, no one's ever knocked on my door. I own 70 acres in the, one of the better areas in, in Jackson County. Right here. Right here. I mean, this is amazing. I mean, the deer in the morning. Yeah, you're you're not allowed to hunt here. Uh, <laughs> go ahead and, uh, and, and, uh, and scratch that. Actually, you know, you, you can come here and uh, you can hunt raccoons and possums or something. But uh, but, but, yeah, but it, it's very daunting. And, and but I've never had anybody knock on my door. And actually, I thought about that. I was thinking about that the other day. And I actually was offended. I was by myself <laughs> driving in my car at work. You need to work on your appearance from the road, obviously. I know. Apparently, yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah. they're like, let's move on to the next property. And this guy's yeah, got the hat. Yeah, guy, guy, yeah. Nobody's knocking on his door. Yeah, yeah. Can't do it. They probably just hunt here without me. Yeah, well, you know, ideas. You don't want somebody. You don't want you don't want somebody driving by and changing the behavior of an animal out in your field. I agree. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. But. Listen, I mean, just there's there's people out there. I'm, I'm like I just I mentioned this a little bit. I mentioned this a little bit ago. I'm helping a farmer out. Literally, the guy just told me I picked up four tags for him that I'm gonna go fill on Monday for this farmer. I literally saw one o- over 100 deer. I've never, you know, I've seen I've seen a lot of deer in a field, but this is 100 deer in a field or more. Um, all age classes, all sexes of deer. Uh, and he has a problem. He can't harvest his crops. And, and uh, he's going for 50 tags wow. to, to, to be able to knock those deer numbers down because, you know, uh, it, it, it's a problem to him. He's trying to feed his family. But because of the deer, he can't. Um, so there's, there's people out there that are looking for help. So don't be too intimidated. Just knock on the right door. And it might take 50 doors, but knock on the right door. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, like you said, it's a numbers game. I learned that after like the third one, you start getting in the rhythm. You know, you, you broke out of your, your comfort zone. You're like, all right, well, I've already got three no's. What's four going to do? What's five? With a TVMA signature on my email, I couldn't get access to the property that I wanted. And really? Oh, there was a housing community that was like, they built the roads and lots in 08, and then it just shut down, yeah. like 40 acres in the middle of town. You're like, that's where the deer are. You know, and I tried for years, like, hey, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm trying to take new hunters out here. Like, come on, man. I, wanted, I actually wanted to take a lawn chair out to this gravel bar on the river and drink beer. But, you know, I was trying to get deer permission, too. And uh, But, yeah, no, we're not always successful. Yeah. Oh, gosh, it, it's hard. Uh, but everybody can do it. You can do it, too. It, it's attainable. Absolutely attainable, man. If I can do it, I'm, anybody can do it. And like you said, you know, being able to identify as a hunter and say, I'm a hunter. I can go do this. It's a lot. COVID shuts down. The grocery stores don't have me. I'm not worried one bit. Like, it's nice to be able to to have that. I think um, people look up to you when you can provide for yourself and your family. At least I, I think so. And I think uh, I, tell you, I wouldn't have it any other way. I love it. So hopefully you guys, this, this program works out this year um, and the years to come, obviously. And uh, I'm excited to be a part of it. And we're going to keep documenting it. So 
I appreciate you being involved and in, in everything. And yeah, no, uh, year one will be great. Year two will be better, and hopefully, we'll keep on going on from there. Thank you so much, listeners, for coming and listening once again to the Habitat Podcast. We really appreciate it. If you could, please do us a favor. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. If you type out something nice, I will send you a free Habitat Podcast decal. If you haven't been to our website, HabitatPodcast.com, we have our Habitat Property Consultation Services on there under the Land Plan tab. Check out our HP land plans there. We also have hats, t-shirts, and decals up at HabitatPodcast.com. Of course, all of our podcast episodes. And then we have a new Habitat Podcast journal where you can learn about deer anatomy and some cool thoughts, um, you know, more of a blog post from us every now and then. We'd really love it if you went over to our Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, found the Habitat Podcast, and please subscribe. That really helps us. And thank you very much to our sponsors. I'd like to thank Exodus Trail Cameras, The Squirrel at NutPlanter.com, Afflictor Broadheads, Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, Packer Max Cultipackers, Killer Food Plots, Realtree United Country Land Pro, Lake States Realty and Auction, and Morse Nursery. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in once again. Get back with us soon. We're going to have another great episode for you as we become better habitat managers. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. Six, eight, Western. Mule there, baby, right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! Oh! Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.